All right, our little ones, you guys are dismissed to head down for junior church. Our middle ones, you guys are welcome to, uh, our, our teens had an all-nighter last night and it was at our house. So uh, if, if they look like they're sleeping, uh, like Taylor back there, she's actually reclining. That's a very biblical position. We're uh, going to go with that. They got their whopping two and a half hours or three hours sleep, something like that. So I'm just praying for coherence today. Uh, and yet, I'm really excited about what we get to share together. So if you have your Bibles, let's stay there in Second Thessalonians chapter 3. And I want to just bring us really six observations from the text. But can I just start this way? I want to just remind us and say this again publicly as we start out this year, 2012, uh, 2011 seemed to evaporate, but as we're into 2012, I want to just kind of lay a little bit of a, of a vision and a direction for us uh, today. So why don't we go ahead and let's pray together, and we'll jump in here. Father, help us today. Help us to see what you're seeing. Help us to be a part of what you're doing. Help us to be anticipating. Lord, I want to ask today that as we look at this text, you would take this topic of prayer and you would take it away from this concept of duty and of work and of being something that we ought to do and instead we have just guilt heaped up upon upon us instead i pray that you would give freedom and joy and excitement today in this so lord please draw out the reality of our sonship or our daughtership together today for those that know you for those that don't know you who are here today who are listening and wondering Lord, may they get a new understanding about who you are today as we look at the text. Please open us up and help us to see. Make us responsive to your spirit. Help us to be responsive to what you're calling us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here's where I just want to start. I want to give us a little bit of a glimpse of where I see us growing I'm, I want to just tell you that I am really excited about what I see God doing at Wyndham Baptist Church. Um, now, one of our favorite images here is the tree, right? Uh, if you've been around here for a little while, you've heard this, this concept. We try to return to it. In fact, I'd love to have some of our artists come up with a way of, of doing this, of creating this image for us. But it's this image of a tree. And... Um, you can look at Psalm 1 and see this. You can look at Jeremiah 17, uh, 7 through 8. So if, you, if you've got a Bible and if you feel comfortable going back there, let's go back to Jeremiah. I just want to read this to you. Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 7 through 8 say this. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree. Now, now focus on that for one second. Where is our trust? What is our hope? Where is it built? The text is saying that it's someone who trusts the Lord. Not their systems, not their programs, not their hard work, not their effort. Where is all of their confidence and trust? It's in the Lord. What will he be like? What can we imagine this? What image could you have if your children were following the Lord this way? What, what image would this look like, husband, if you were thinking about your wife and you're saying, what would, what would that look like? He's going to give us this picture. Wives, as you think of your husband. For some of you who are single, as you, as you look through your life, 
through, through all the places, relationships, your parents, whoever that may be, it says this, He is like a tree that is planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes, literally a, a f- like a fire, when the heat comes because its leaves remain green and it is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. Just one of our images is that image of the tree with its roots going deep down into the, into the dirt right next to the stream of the gospel and the gospel runs clear and free right past us. And, and what's the reaction of having that healthy place to grow? The reaction is that our branches grow up high and tall and into the sunlight of God, don't they? And as those two things, as, as that worship and as that grounding into who God is occurs, what begins to happen? Fruit. A tree does not sit around and think, how am I going to bear fruit? Instead, when you put it in those conditions, a tree begins to bear fruit. And you can look at it and you can see what is happening inside the life of that tree. And and we begin to see fruit. And what I want to describe for you for a moment is just some of the fruit that I am seeing on the vine here that encourages me tremendously. One of the first things that I see when I look for that fruit is I see that we have a beautiful team of elders, especially our volunteer elders. In other words, those who work a full time, they're they're tent making elders. There has been such growth over these last six or seven years that I would say for our elders to really become shepherding elders. It's not that it never happened before, but when I look at our team, I would sit there and say, all of our elders are shepherding, beginning to grow in this. They don't have it down perfectly, but there's such growth. There's real fruit there. A second thing that I get to see that I know some of you don't get to see, and one of the reasons I want to say this is because you don't get to see it all the time. I I get the privilege of looking. But, but it may go underground, and I want you to remember that image where it's underground. You don't see it right away. But a second key area that we just have seen so much growth in is discipleship. There's this explosion. Now again, just like in Luke chapter 13 where Jesus talks about the mustard seed, what's the reality of it? You have this little, pl- this little seed, and it gets planted, and it grows. And where does it grow? So much of that root structure is underground. So in other words, we're not just standing up going, okay, all you guys show up for discipleship on Friday, though that's not a bad thing. And we may work on that. In fact, that's part of my heart is to create an open door that you can see. But right now, I just know so many of our men, and I'm hearing more and more about our women that are getting together to read God's Word together, to pray for each other together. To, to talk about how do I live a life that glorifies God? How do I live a life of worship to God in my workplace doing what I do? When, when I'm home taking care of a little one and it's diapers and it's, and it's feeding and it's just all of these things, how, do I, how, is, that the, how is that an act of worship? I, I hear about our people doing that more and more and I know about these specific relationships, people who are getting together. And you know what's not happening though? There's no jerseys, okay? In other words, there's no teams. No one's standing up there going, I'm part of this one. Or, you know, it, it's not even being heralded out. Instead, it's quiet, and yet it's life-changing. 
It's life-changing. One of those discipleship relationships that I've heard about most recently started last month after communion. A result of the way that we take the Lord's table together resulted in one person connecting with another person and beginning to walk together in that. That is awesome. That's what we need to see. Um, Giving. Giving's just been another area, another area of fruit, because really, out of the last, really, it was just about six, five or six of the eight, last eight weeks, we've been above our budget in giving. And last week, we were actually $500 below what our budget was, but our total giving was about 5700 So that's about $2,000 above what, our, what our, our budgeted amount is. I'm just saying, here's this fruit of generosity again that we're continuing to see. But I don't just want to measure it by the numbers in the bulletin. I want to measure it by what about what's going on. And what I love to hear about is the way that you guys are taking care of each other, rising up inside of your missional communities to say, hey, let's bless this person and blessing significantly. There's so much of a heart of giving. So many of you that are giving to neighbors. And again, this stuff is all underground. I might catch wind of it once in a while, and I wish I could stand here and tell you some of the stories, and some of you need to stand up and actually share your stories. It's funny. We're having trouble getting people to actually share what God's doing in their lives, to share testimony. And I think it's because you don't want to draw attention to yourself. I love that, but once in a while, we need to stand up and risk having attention sent to us so we can send it to Jesus, right? We need to do that together. We need to share some of those testimonies. But that's another area I'm so excited. And that's giving that's going inside the church, and it's also giving that's going outside the church. And that leads me to the fourth area that I'm excited about is this idea of mission. So many of you talk about your neighbors by name, people that you can't wait to come to know Jesus. I see you rearranging your schedules. I see you missing programs that we've got here. Because you're spending time with somebody that you want to see come to know Jesus. So many people that I hear who are praying regularly. You've got names that are on your heart, people you're engaging with. These are the types of fruit you long for their salvation. These are the types of fruits that we've seen. I think ultimately what we've seen over the last few years here, seven years I guess, is that for many of you, The gospel's gone from the message that you heard that brought you to saving faith to being sort of like my son's lightsaber. Okay? Because you you just can't be caught without it. it. It's become something that hangs on your hip at all times and you can't live without it. It helps you to fight by faith for your faith on a daily basis. The gospel has become like food to you. And the gospel's become a joy to you. So Jesus isn't just the way that I got saved. For so many of you, Jesus is someone you need on a daily basis. Someone that you're sharing with each other on a daily basis. It's a joy to you. And it lights your days. So it's only natural then to head the direction that we're going today. And this is the idea. This is the key concept I'm just asking us to take from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Is I'm asking us to pray that the gospel would run. 
to pray that the gospel would run. In other words, to speed ahead and be honored if you're looking at the ESV. The idea that we want to see the word of the Lord continue to spread and speed out into this community. Now, as we talk about prayer, though, it really matters what you understand what Jesus has called your life to be and to do as a Christian, doesn't it? It makes all the difference in the world the way that you view yourself because Harry and Amy have to see themselves in a very specific way to be willing to unsettle themselves and follow Jesus where He's calling them. Prayer is very much the same thing. What is a Christian called to be? We say here all the time that we're not calling you to attend. We don't want to multiply services. We want to multiply servants. We want to send you out to live. Jesus hasn't called just the pastors here to minister to your spiritual needs. And in fact, the challenge is instead that he's called you to minister to the spiritual needs that that are throughout our community. And that's where this growth has been so great. That's intimidating, and it's scary. But let's see how that affects prayer. If you look at the Christian life as a place where if I follow Jesus, Jesus is going to make me comfortable, Jesus is going to take care of me, and He's going to make sure that if I read Jeremiah chapter 17, when I'm that tree planted by the living water, what that means is I'm going to have a job, And what it means is I'm going to be safe and my kids are going to be good and it means that I'm going to have a car and it means that I'm not going to have any debt and it means that my life will be good. And there's a lot of people who would read Jeremiah chapter 17 and say that's what it means in our culture today. So when they pray, let me just say this, most likely when they pray, when they communicate with God, if we communicate from this standpoint, your prayer is going to be more like using the hotel phone to call for towels because I don't have enough towels. Amen? But if, like Jesus called us to, our calling is to be Jesus' people, His representatives inside of our community, not just our pastors, but that each one of you is called to be a priest then your calling is to work. Your calling is to be engaged. Your calling is to carry out like a disciple, a follower of Jesus, to live the priorities of Jesus and to multiply the work and the intention of Jesus every single place that you live. That means that your workplace is a sacred place now. That means that your home is a sacred place now. It means that wherever you go to lunch, and they know your name, that's a sacred place now because you're a representative right in there. Instead of using the hotel phone to call for more towels, really this role is somewhere where you're using a walkie-talkie to call an air support. Prayer becomes critical. Amen? So how you view yourself on this very much makes a difference. Now, I'm understanding this. Not many of us sit there and go, man, I love being right here and I feel completely ready for it. So don't take me to sit there and go, you've either got to go here or there. What I'm saying is Jesus has this in process, doesn't he? A lot of us are a lot closer to here than we were before. And a lot of us are being moved and transformed 
and changed by God's grace. Harry said that when he shared about where they were, right? That this took months. This wasn't an overnight thing. They've had to assess. They've had to pray. They've had to talk. They've had to work. This is emotional. It's scary. And yet, is Jesus there? We're going to find that in the text today. So what I'm calling on us to do is to be those people who are praying people. I guess you could say it this way. You might look at it and go, you know what, that's not my experience. I know I should pray, but I don't pray. I know that I'm supposed to pray, but I don't. That's not my experience. But let me also say this, you know what, too often that's not mine either. But if we keep looking to our practice instead of to the gospel, it will remain that way. If we keep looking to our practice rather than to the gospel, we will remain a prayerless people. Just like Josh said today in our, in, in our communicating the gospel, we'll become despondent. That's not where we should be. So let me take a look at this passage. Uh, Joe read this for us, but let me just remind us. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. And that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you. Don't you love that? And we, we're going to get to the story. We're going to remind you a little bit about why that's such an amazing statement. But we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. Let me give you six observations that I just bring out of this text. Six things that I want us just to see today. And I'm going to try and be quick as we go through these. Number one, note that Paul is asking for what? He's asking for the word of the Lord to speed ahead and be honored. What, what's he asking for? He's asking for the word of the Lord to speed ahead, to run. He wants it loose. We've got a dog, and I love that dog once in a while. And there's a lot of times where I don't love that dog a whole lot. I should love my dog more. But my dog can run. Okay? When she runs, man, she runs. It's not this, like, thing that goes on. Her body just stays in one position, and she glides. And then her little legs just go vroom, 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 and she just flies along. That's the image here. Actually, it'd probably be better to think of a lion, something a little more powerful than my dog, because my dog is not all that powerful. It's a big dog, but she's not that cool. All right? But, but to think of a lion, to think of something like that, to run, to chase, he's praying that the gospel, the word of the Lord, would speed ahead and be honored. He is not, at least as I'm as I'm concerned, as you read through Thessalonians, he's not simply asking that the culture would honor the moral code of the Bible. He's not simply saying, boy, I want that to go. I want everyone to look at the Judeo-Christian ethic and I want them to really cling to that. I wish that would be honored inside of our community. That's not what he's asking for. What's he asking for? He's asking for the gospel. 
The story of the Bible is not moral behavioristic change. It is not that Christians act this way and dress this way. Those things are true. But we find out in 1 Thessalonians that 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 law is there to show us the deficit about who we are. Not to simply inform us about the way that we should live. In other words, it tells us what's right and what's wrong and what needs to change. This is how God is. And this is how you are and and how you are not like God and, and why there's a problem between you and God. And this is what needs to change. But the law does not give us the power to change. It simply says, there's the problem, there's the problem, there's the problem. He's not praying that our culture would look up and go, wow, I see problems and problems and I'll try and fix them. Because trying to fix them has been the problem. We turn to Jesus. We, we think about this with your New Year's resolutions, right? Because some of us are going to go into this year and we want to make some resolutions and we're going to change ourselves and that's why we keep saying and, and people keep reminding us thankfully, hey, you know what? Jesus is better than your New Year's resolutions. Who are you looking to? Who are you looking to? Okay? He's praying that the gospel, the very point of the entire Bible, that God saw our need and addressed our need in Jesus. He did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He's praying that that would run. He's praying that people would see they need a Savior. That that would run rather than a self-help section. So he's asking for that. So the second thing he's saying is this. Pray for us, right? He starts that one. Finally, brothers, pray for us. He's asking them to pray, but let me point this out to you. He's asking them to pray for good reason. Sometimes we feel like prayer is just something, it's perfunctory, it's something that we're supposed to do, and it's meaningless. Man, it is so easy for us to fall into this trap. Prayer is not meaningless. Instead, prayer is God's invitation to us to partner with Him. It's God's invitation for us to walk with Him. Prayer is God's invitation to play with Him as He works in this world. It is like a father saying to his son, come with me. I had a quick project to work on last night so that the youth group could have Nerf gun blow darts, uh, blow guns, you know, and they're actually really cool and really inexpensive and they shoot better than regular Nerf guns. But Mark came in and said, Dad, can I help? I'm using a chop saw. Fingers could come off. But do I want my son in there? Yes. Why? Because I love being with him. Did the process go faster with him there? No. Is he learning? Yes. And I want to be with him. I love to be with him. Then Caitlin came in and she asked if she could help. What am I going to say? Yes. God wants you to pray Not because he's powerless, because you failed to pray. God wants you to pray because it penalizes us not to. 
it hurts us to be away from our dad. We become orphans. We act like orphans. We think like orphans when we don't pray. Now, one of the amazing things that came out during my sabbatical, which was really exciting to me because when I came back and checked it with the elders, they had already noticed exactly the same thing. But one of the problems that we've had at Wyndham Baptist is that we have really fallen into this funk where we, we, we realized there was a loss of a sense of anticipation that the Holy Spirit really wants to work here. You know where that comes out of? It comes out of when you think, okay, I'm a servant of God, not a son of God. And as a servant, God is demanding that I do these things instead of that I'm loved as his child and, and deeply loved by him as a son. So, but as a servant, I don't want to ask him for anything because I don't think he's going to love me enough to give me that. I think that God sits there and goes, hey, I gave you enough stuff. Do something with it. Anyone ever have that little mental song in your head? Look how much I did for you. Can't you just go do your own thing? Is that a father? No. At least not a good father. Not the way a father ought to be. So we had to repent of that. We had to repent of that. And what I want us to see here is Paul is praying to his dad. Mark asked me for, okay, you guys are going to think this is awful, but Mark asked me for a 50 caliber uh, rifle yesterday. <laughs> we were watching Mythbusters. And he saw the one lady shoot a 50 cal. He's like, Dad, you know, and took down an armor-plated vehicle. In one shot. He's like, Dad, can I have one of those? <laughs> I said, no. <laughs> I'll save up $100. I'll go get my own. Well, I think it's going to be a little more than $100, buddy. But, but he asked me for one of those. When do you ask for something like that? You ask that because you think this person loves me and I got a shot. <laughs> yeah, no pun intended. <laughs> do you believe that? What I want to just call us to is to understand that God loves you so much that when you ask for something, He will give it to you unless He has something better. Do you believe that? We need to. We need to see who God is. Third thing I want us to see. So the first thing, He's praying that the Word of the Lord would speed the Gospel. Second, He's saying pray because it really does matter. Third thing and the fourth thing go together. But third thing is Gospel sharing will lead to trouble. If you want the hotel version of Christianity, the consumeristic version of Christianity, the place where I come and they meet my needs and they take care of me and they make me feel comfortable here, you're going to hate this verse. But if you're over here and you're saying, you know what, this is what I'm meant to be. This is what I'm called to be. This is, this is where I walk with Jesus as my King and I follow Him. I expect things to be... This is family, right? Because you go to a hotel, they take care of you. When you're at home, what do they do? They tell you what to do. Clean the table. Clean with us. Work with this. There's things to do here. 
really important to see the difference. Remember, he says there, but the, uh, he says, pray for us, right? Verse 2, that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. If you're going to share the gospel, I promise you, there is no way to share the gospel so winsomely that people will still love you. doesn't mean everyone will hate you. But if you think that what you're waiting for is the perfect technique, let me say this, the message itself is offensive. The concept that everything comes from heaven and nothing from me is deeply offensive to a human being. But what's he praying for? Deliverance. What's he praying for? Protection. What's he praying? God, can you, can you get us out of some of these situations here? Can you deliver us from this? The fourth part, though, is really critical to this. The fourth thing is the Lord is faithful. He will establish and guard you against an evil one. The Lord is faithful. Remember Jeremiah 17? Who does my confidence in? It's the Lord, not in me. It's not my skill in presenting the gospel. It's my trust that the Lord is faithful. He will establish. He will guard. He will take care of you. You can't pray unless you believe that. And there's no way you'll pray what God wants you to pray, especially like this, unless you believe that God is the one who protects and guards you. So how do we face these two things? I I found something interesting. George Mueller is really a man known for his prayer life, right? So many of you probably know the stories that, uh, of the orphanage and the times where all the kids would come in, sit down, waiting for a meal, and they had no money and no food, no provision whatsoever. So they ate. You know, they sat at the table, ready to eat, and they prayed and thanked God for the food. And suddenly the truck breaks down outside and they provide for all these orphans. The times where he's supposed to be in an evangelistic meeting, and as he pulls into the harbor, Uh, The harbor is completely fogged over and no one can move. And and the captain says, that's it, turn the engine off. And Mueller, unlike me, you know, I would sit there and go, okay, I'm going to be late. Call the place, tell him, I'm sorry, I'm going to be a little late. You know, he's like, no, I've got to be there on time. We're going to be there on time. So what do they do? He says, let's go in and pray. They go in and pray. When they come back outside, what's true? Well, he tells the captain to start the engines of the boat first. Then they pray comes outside what's true no fog now that's not what it feels like in my prayer life most days anyone else with me there's things i've been praying for for a long time that have not materialized like that i'd love to be able to sit there and start the car honey you know you know that that's not how it usually feels but here's one of the things that's really critical to mueller and his understanding his prayer life mueller did not want you to sit there and go wow He does amazing things. He's just different than me. Mueller would punch you in the nose for that. Maybe, probably, okay? Um, Why? Because what he wants all of us to understand is that your prayer life is just as potent and you have the right to ask and God works on your behalf just as powerfully. Mueller hated it when people put him on a pedestal. But, Here's, here's what Mueller said, uh, A.T. Pearson in his book, George Mueller of, Brist- of Bristol, his life in prayer, of prayer and faith said this. He quoted him. He said, Mueller was a man known for prayer. He said this. There was a day, George Mueller said, when I, utter- when I died, utterly died, died to George Mueller 
his opinions, his preferences, his taste, and his will. And I died to the world, its approval or censure. I died to the approval or blame even of my brethren and friends. And since then, I have only to show myself approved to God. The only way that we will pray is when we come to the point where we die to our opinion of ourself. When we, when we need to come to the point where it really doesn't matter what happens to me if I get my extra towels. I need to come to the point where it really doesn't matter how I'm treated. I need to come to the point where I, my picture of what my legacy is going to look like in the future, that those things get laid aside. I need to, li- to die to what I think about Mark Geddix. And the second thing Euler said was that he needed to die to what others thought about him putting away his reputation, living before God and not before people. Those are two hefty things, but prayer will not flow until I can lay aside what you think of me and what I think of me. You can't move anywhere in Christianity without dying to those two things. If you're trying to understand Christianity today, if you're here you know, trying to understand what this is all about, let me just say you can't move forward if the goal is to try and preserve. There's going to be a sense of loss. There's going to be a sense of loss, and yet the trade is so worth it. The only way that we can handle not worrying about what evil men will do to us is if we lose our concern about, our, uh, you know, about my reputation in my own eyes and my reputation in your eyes. Prayer forces that in us. Prayer causes that. Fifth, notice this though. Because this is good news for us. We're moving to more and more good news as we go through this. Notice this, verse 4, And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. Number 5, there will be, they were being transformed. They were being changed. Their lives were showing change. They're becoming different people day in and day out, just like you and I are. Remember this, Paul had only been at this church for a matter of months before he was beaten and driven out of town. When, when they established this church, um, it was not the place where he got to camp for three years. This was a brief visit. And yet what was happening? He knew that the Lord was working. Why? Because he wasn't concerned about whether or not people would say, hey, Paul did a good job there. He was concerned about the fact that the Lord was doing this work. He could be confident. He knew that Jesus is not sitting up on His throne waiting for us to act. Instead, Jesus is actively involving Himself in our day-to-day lives. The Lord was working and things were seriously happening there among them. I want to encourage you. You're not on your own. You're not left to your skills and your abilities and your, your thoughtfulness. You are not left to your discipline or to your self-control through this? I know some of us, when we start the year off, we're afraid to make some resolutions because we think, what if I don't follow through? Some of others of us are like, I'm not going to make any resolutions because I know I always fail them. You are not left on your own. you got a dad who loves you. 
And his job is not to point out where you fail. His job is to help change you and lay down his life to make that happen. Do you believe that? You're changing. If we only had an idea of how holy the person who is sitting next to us will be someday, it would scare us. Because Jesus is going to transform us all the way, completely, make us holy. So how can we possibly live this out? The last one I want to point to you is this. Guilt will not work. Right? Especially in this area of sharing their faith and praying. Because if I've noticed one thing as a pastor for the last 20 years, it's this. I can lay plenty of guilt on you about your praying. And I have a feeling that 98% of you would be takers on that guilt. 98% of you would sit there and go, oh man, I feel really guilty. You're right. I ah, hate myself. The other place that we could probably lay plenty of guilt on, right, would be this area of evangelism. 98% of you would be takers on that area. 98% would sit there and say, you know what, right, yes, I should. I, I know I should share my faith more. Just because I've talked to people for these years, I know that these are two big areas. Guilt will not work. I've heard plenty of guilt sermons on these things. How about, how about if we get people to commit What if we get them to just promise that they're going to do it? Will that change them? No, because then they just end up in that guilt spiral again, right? And and, and, and that's what happens. What about if training, if we could just educate, if we would just give you the magic bullet of how to share your faith, then you would share it, right? That has not changed. These are not the things that will get you to do what you should do. What? will that's the question of my heart jesus what will get me to do what i should do to live the way that i should live look at the answer there in verse five may the lord direct your hearts to the love of god and the steadfastness of christ (laughs) everything you're missing jesus has in full supply Everything you're lacking, Jesus has a superabundance of it. And it's designed that way. It's designed that way so you and I will be saved from ever thinking, look what I've done. And so that you and I will always say, look what Jesus has done. We're made that way. That's what eternity is for. Paul is praying that their hearts would be turned towards the love of God. Some of you need to know God's love. You need to know that you are sons and that you are daughters and that he cares about you deeply, more deeply than you can imagine. Others of us also need that strengthening infusion, the steadfastness, the perseverance, the continuation, the follow-through that Jesus has. If he's got a lot of follow-through, guess what he can give to you? Follow-through. The ability to do what you've never been able to do yet. There's this great illustration, a Puritan pastor, who, uh, or a Puritan writer, but he goes through his life journaling out his quiet times. 
over a 30-year period. And essentially, his experience is exactly the same as yours and mine in so many cases. Asking the Lord to take away sloth so that I will rise early and that I will take time in prayer. Have not begun to rise early yet, but... And he just goes on and on and on. And finally, at one point, to make you feel better, he's like, asking the Lord to take this away so that I might be able to get up by 8. Currently, I'm getting up at 2 in the afternoon. It's like a teenager. But do you believe that God can change you? We need to. You know, prayer is asking God to meet with us. Better asking him to allow us to realize that he is already ready to meet with us and to know that he is there. Prayer is the opportunity to have your eyes open to seeing God is meeting with you. We're asking for meeting. and We're asking for revealing. The basis of this is God's word, his promises. We're asking him to reveal himself to others about their salvation, we're asking Him to reveal about ourselves. Where do I fail to believe the Gospel? Where today am I living like a servant or like a, a, a slave rather than like a son or a daughter? That's why we meet. We need to pre- bring prayer first thing into our day. So let me give you then a few couple, a few challenges, a few tasks. First of all, have you identified, can you name a few specific people that you're praying for by name to come to Jesus? I'm calling us as a church to know those names, to be praying about those people on a daily basis, believing that God is willing to work, wants to work. We as a church want to, and I will say need to see more people come to know Jesus here through our sharing, through our talking, through our communicating. God loves to invite you into the process. As we pray, we pray, but then he invites us to be part of the solution. So he gives us the opportunity to talk with that neighbor, with that family member, with that coworker. To them, have them come into this body and be part of this body and see how that electrifies and moves us because then we're not taking a Sunday school class because we're trying to say, teach me something I don't know. Instead, we're beginning to teach people who don't know and you know enough to give to them. Instead of teaching becoming something where we go, wow, I need him to make this really interesting, you get to teach. That's a gift. And I promise you, they will help us to grow. I am praying currently that at least 10 people, 10 adults will come to know Jesus this year through the ministry of Wyndham Baptist Church and settle in here and grow in here and follow Jesus in here. We've had it in the past, and I'm just praying. That, to me, that's a pretty realistic number. It's a pretty low number. But I would rather do slow and steady and continual growth through these missional communities, through your contacts, and be praying for them, changing those names with each other inside of your missional community, changing those names with some of your friends, saying pray for them. Because what is God's heart? Is it to withhold himself, to stay away from them? No, not at all. I'm going to challenge you to memorize 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1-5. through 5. 
I know, everybody's head just exploded. I can't memorize five verses. Yes, you can. Come on. Especially with the steadfastness of Christ and the love of God, I know you can. But man, we need this. We need to have this thought process rattling around in our brains. So memorize it. Turn the TV off for a minute. Okay? Memorize this. Another thing that we know we need to do and that we're, we're calling ourselves out on as elders, we apologize, but we're, we're growing into this, but we need prayer to just stay on top of our radar. And one of the ways that we need to do that is to set some of these corporate dates back into this. So what we're planning on doing is on Wednesday nights, we're, right now we're going to do four, um, four nights quarterly. So January 25th. On a Wednesday night, it'll be 6 o'clock, same time as youth group. We want the teens in there. We want our adults in there. I want you to rearrange your schedule, and I want you to get babysitters if you need to do that. I don't care. Um, I know what that's like. I understand how much pressure that puts on things. But we need to be here together to pray, and especially to pray that God would give us opportunity to reach into our community. Um, so those are three areas that I just want to really put out there to lay on top of us as a challenge for us. So what we're going to do now is, is go to communion. And um, like we said about prayer, if I just look at my experience, I'm never going to change. So how do I change? Well, let me just say, this is one of the gifts that God gives to us so that we can change. And it's simple. It's, it's small. At least in this context, it probably shouldn't be small. It probably should be a big, full-blown meal. That's why we meet in missional communities. But this is the way that a lot of churches celebrate this. We do things differently. But this symbol, we've got to remind you, is for those who say with their mouth that Jesus is the King. And those that believe in their hearts that God has raised him from the dead. If that's not you, if you haven't been there, I encourage you today is the day to believe that, to trust that. And you can do that right where you're at. But I also have to say this. We celebrate the Lord's Supper in a way that's different. Because we think through, what does family look like in this? Now, Family is welcoming. Family extends themselves. But family also calls on us to take risks. Right? There's a little risk living in family, in your family. Because you can't control how somebody else acts or reacts. There are times where you're going to get together for lunch, and for some of you, that is nerve-wracking. Some of you who feel really close to your family, it's not scary at all. But if you've ever been on the outside, if you've ever felt separated, so we, we take that into account, and yet it is so important the way that we celebrate, the way that we, we move through this together. So what we do is we have a couple stations, and, and just so you know, there's a gluten-free uh, option up here as well as the regular bread, but what we do is we encourage you we're going to stand in a minute. We're going to refresh our minds. We're going to speak to each other what the truth of the gospel is, and then we're going to act on it by taking communion. Instead of passing these in trays like you would do in a school, 
we're going to come together. And this is where, again, I can understand for some people this could cause a little tension, a little fear, a little concern. But I want to let you, call you to let people act like family for you. Maybe you're new and you think, boy, I, I, this is new. I understand that. Please, just take the risk to allow people to come alongside of you. But we come together in groups. We gather at the table. We take a piece of bread and we dip it in the cup. And then we step off to the side and we pray for each other. Somebody in that group who takes leadership becomes a, a priest for that group. And they pray for them. Um, everyone can participate. Even if you don't take the cup. Because like I said, this, this symbol is for, for believers. But even our children get to come with us then. They get to ask questions about, why, why are we doing this, Dad? We get to answer those questions. We don't want to leave anyone to go alone. So I'm calling on you, brothers and sisters, to make sure that others are connected, that others go with you.